as a creative, it often feels like your brain is constantly popping out new ideas, you know, new alleyways to chase into, get lost in some new maze. Like, ooh, this is interesting, you know, ooh, but so is this, you know, ooh, what if I did that? It's a wonderful problem to have in, in many ways. Uh, you know, it's better than having writer's block. I feel very lucky to rarely run into writer's block. That, that you know, don't jinx me. That's not a problem I've had too much. Um, it just always seems like there's something new and interesting that I want to investigate, read about, write about, think about, talk about. The difficult thing is deciding which ideas are worth pursuing when time is limited, right? You don't have infinite time. You know, when you have lots of appealing options, how do you choose? How do you choose? <laughs> you know, how do you choose? Uh, I remember listening to Tina Fey's audiobook, Bossy Pants, and she talks about how when she was a producer on SNL, her job was primarily reining in the other creatives so that they had a defined endpoint to their work. You know, lots of comic performers and writers just want to keep going and going and escalating and escalating, you know, exploring one chaotic avenue after another, being a producer, you know, it's, it's like herding feral cats, right? That's, that's, but you have to end up with something concrete that normal people can wrap their heads around, you know, instead of a, instead of continuous ethereal possibility and potential, you know, what if we went in this direction? You know, what, what if we did this with the sketch? What if this happened? What, what if we, that'd be interesting. Ooh, that'd be funny. Oh, and well, then we could flip it and do this. You know, it's, that's all very fun, but like, it needs to be more organized for normal people. A producer is there to force the creative shapeshifter to become something, to solidify into something more specific. And it's, it's hard to gauge what that more specific thing should be though, right? That's the struggle. Art is always reaching after something beyond the concrete. You know, art signals out at something else other than what it is, but it still has to be something. It has to be something obvious enough and accessible and graspable, but at the same time, have the potential to signal more depending on how the viewer takes it in. So art needs creativity in order to say something new and interesting, but it also needs production, you know, something that concretizes it and keeps it, you know, rooted in the present time and place. And as a stand-up comic, you have to be your own creative and your own producer, right? You have to play both roles. You know, basically, you have, you have to make decisions, you know, basically have arguments with yourself about what aspects of the writing and performance you should keep and, you know, what needs to be cut away. And trust me, so much needs to be cut away, like most of it. You know, most of it needs to end up on the cutting room floor People don't have the time and patience for most of your weird ideas. <laughs> That's just the reality. Like I might have had more writer's block when I was first, you know, when I when I first started doing stand-up, but eight plus years in, my struggle is definitely more on the production side than on the creative side. You know, I I have hundreds of pages of Google Docs filled with writing, you know, probably 500 or 600 pages at this point. Maybe it's more than that, I don't know. It just keeps growing. It's, it's spread out through a bunch of Google Docs, which kind of sounds insane, but if you break it down, that's only writing like around a page and a half, oh, like each week. 
So that, that adds up over the years, right? That's hundreds of pages of creative writing about topics that I find interesting and engaging and goofy and weird and funny. But the catch is, you know, for me, five minutes of stand-up is only about one and a third of a page of writing. Uh, Double-spaced, Times New Roman, size 12 font, for, for anyone who cares. Uh, and I have to work out my jokes in five-minute sets. So now you can see how much of stand-up comes down to, you know, sort of an intensive whittling down of ideas and material into their bare essentials. What is absolutely necessary to say into this microphone to get a laugh, to connect with a random audience who doesn't necessarily share the backdrop of all those, you know, related ideas that you find so interesting and engrossing. You know, because the laugh is necessary for the art form, right? That's the, one of the critical pieces. But you're also hoping that the audience connects to the underlying ideas and emotions. It's not just about the laugh. So there, there's a balance there where, like, you have to cut enough that you can keep the laughs coming consistently, right? You can't have extra words interrupting the laugh pacing. Stand-up is fast-paced, all right? It's quick, it's not an essay, right? The, the laughs have gotta be there. But you can't cut so much that you lose the broader picture you were painting, right? People don't just want to laugh at comedy shows, you know? They wanna feel something, they wanna experience something, they want a fresh perspective, a unique take, a light bulb moment, you know, something a little edgy or scary, something heartfelt and sincere. You know, comedy is all over the place these days. There, there's so many interesting flavors that you can play with Early on, when I started stand-up, I, I definitely held on to ideas too long. Like, if there was something I believed in, I, I would hammer at it for much longer than I should have, you know, to, to try to make it work on stage. And I think uh, there, were, there were a bunch of reasons for that. You know, for one, I didn't have the confidence in my abilities as a comic that I now do. You know, when you lack confidence, it's easy to get defensive. You know, I'm right, they just don't get it. You know, that's why it didn't hit. You know, they don't understand, you know. It's a very common ego defense mechanism, right? You hold on to your artistic creations because they feel too precious for you to let go of, right? It, it's kind of like how, you know, you freak out about the first kid you have, but if you have six kids and one goes flying off a trampoline, you, you know, you, you don't panic about it in the same way, all right? You know. Still got five of them. <laughs> I also didn't really have as refined of comedy taste as I do now. You know, I watched a ton of stand-up and comedy in general uh, before I ever tried it myself. But I think it's safe to say, in the years since I've started doing stand-up, I've consumed stand-up comedy at a much higher rate than I did previously in my life. I've seen a lot more, uh, listened to a lot more, done it enough myself. Like, I know what's good and what's not, much more than when I started. I've put in that time, and so it's easier for me to judge myself more accurately, you know, so cutting material doesn't feel as much like a potential mistake. You know, I have a much better read on, on what's good and what's not. In that same vein, I am way more aware of how things are going on stage these days. You know, when I first started, I was lucky if I could simply remember what I wanted to say on stage and do it in the correct order. That was an achievement, you know? Now, you know, once I've got a bit down, 
I'm much more attuned to how the audience is reacting, the subtleties of different reactions. You know, I used to get off stage and I could barely remember what happened. You know, my, my mind was like racing. Uh, just with nervous energy, nothing productive. Now I can pull out my phone and immediately make edits to the bit based on what happened in the moment while I was on stage. You know, I, I have those, I have those tools uh, to to edit myself and to uh, to evaluate myself. Okay, so what stays in the bit and what gets cut? If it gets a laugh, it generally stays. That's a pretty easy rule, right? That's not too complicated. Uh, unless the laugh doesn't fit in with the flow of the rest of the bit, right? You got to watch out for that. It is annoying uh, when you think of a funny line that works or an act out that's really fun and then you do that line or that act out and you find that it disrupts the main through line of what you were doing, right? You try to finish off the rest of the bit how you did it before and now that part doesn't work the way it used to. <laughs> you know, so now you got a decision. You know, do you do you cut the old part? Uh, do you cut the new fun part that you're excited about? Do you try to rearrange the order to make them both work? Which part is most essential to what you're trying to accomplish on stage? You know, sometimes the bigger laugh isn't the right choice. You know, sometimes it is. Hopefully, it is. You want it to be. Maybe use one option on some shows and the other on other shows. You know, you, you can flex it. These aren't hard and fast rules. It's, it's a complicated alchemy that you can continue to play around with. Maybe it'll eventually work. But that's criterion number one. It has to be consistently funny for audiences. And that may seem like a duh, <laughs> like obviously, but uh, you'd be surprised how many comics, myself included, uh, have a, a nasty, stubborn tendency to leave chunks in bits that don't really work uh, because we just have a strong feeling that it should work, right? Happens all the time. Uh, it's, it's not easy to kill your darlings. Not easy to kill your darlings. Okay, so criterion number two, does it move the story forward? What do I mean by that? Uh, I don't tell actual stories that much on stage. It's, that's not really my style. But I do have themes, I have topic areas that I circle around, you know, particular ideas. So when I say, does it move the story forward, I'm asking myself if any given section of the joke helps fill out more of the emotions or ideas I'm trying to express to the audience. You know, you might have the world's greatest fart joke. But you don't put that in a bit about, you know, mental health, relationships, family work, growing up, etc., unless it adds something to the audience's understanding of your perspective on that topic. Fart jokes are versatile, you know? I'm certain there are great mental health fart jokes out there, but not every fart joke is suitable as a mental health fart joke. Those are my big fancy general guidelines to cutting material, uh, pretty simple. You know, ultimately the question is, one, does it get a laugh? Two, is the audience connecting with it in a way that helps move the story forward? You know, and audiences will clue you into that second criterion too. There is a noticeable difference between comedy shows where audiences are laughing on cue at the punchlines 
and comedy shows where the audience is sort of locked in on the edge of their seat, you know, curious about, you know, where are things going? If you watch the audience at any given comedy show, you can see the difference. A lot of times it feels very mechanical between comics and audience, you know, say joke, laugh, say joke, laugh. It's easy to fall into that rhythm, but then there are the shows where it feels a little more intimate, a little more unpredictable, and there's more anticipation in the air, right? That's when you know criterion number two is being met. The audience is following the story, not just chuckling on cue following a pattern that's easily recognizable. My other rule for creative production is that when I do get stuck, I have to do something different. I'm not allowed to repeat the same experiment as many times as I used to in the past. I have a little note on my desk. I actually have a lot of little notes on my writing desk, uh, but one of my little notes says, don't repeat the same patterns slash strategy. So, you know, in the past, I would probably try to work on five minutes of the same material for a full month of going out to mics and shows. These days, I find that's generally overkill. You know, I'll do a new bit about six to eight times to work it out initially. That's generally enough to get a read on which parts are working and which aren't, you know, at least preliminarily. Uh, anything that isn't working, gets cut and put in a separate Google Doc labeled excess leftover bits. Uh, I am a digital pack rat. I never fully get rid of anything. May use it for inspiration later, who knows? And then the parts that worked, those get put in a Google Doc that has my jokes organized by theme or topic area. And then it's back to the stack of stuff I haven't tried yet to try to get a new five minutes together. And I go through that process of working through a new five minutes about every two weeks. If I keep half of that material, that's an hour a year, which, you know, pretty decent clip to go at for producing jokes. You know, you do that for eight years, you end up with eight hours. Now, maybe you only use half of that in the end, right? Once you refine it even further, that's still four hours, right? So you get the idea. I can say from experience that it gets much easier to part with your material the more of it you produce. You know, it's sort of a paradox. You know, if you create a lot, you, you run into a reality that you have to cut stuff because you can't perform all of it, you know? So you naturally pick your best stuff. If you keep after it consistently being creative, the problem of playing producer can actually solve itself pretty naturally. The creative who can't stop coming up with new ideas eventually forces the producer's hand. You know, your creative side, your inner creative may want to say anything and everything, but the producer can appease the creative by saying, hey, look, we only get to talk for five minutes either way. Why not make it the most impressive five minutes you have, even if you really like that other five minutes that we have to cut? And if you're really worried about it, you know, if you ever hit writer's block, you can circle back to that junk five minutes that wasn't working properly, you know, that was still ever so precious to you. So that's my grand advice to creatives uh, in comedy or any art form. Just keep appeasing your creative side. Keep making stuff. The more you create, the more your inner producer has to work with. Having lots to choose from makes it sting a little bit less when you do finally make that choice about what gets cut.